The Honorable, the Judges of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. All right, we'll proceed with the United States versus Rafikian and uh, Mr. Grano, we'll hear from you first. Thank you, Your Honor. Good afternoon, and may I please support Jason Taft-Grano on behalf of the United States. Obviously, there are a number of issues in this case, more than can be covered at oral argument. So I thought I would start with some that the government views as most central to the case. First, uh, the standard for a Section 951 violation that we believe the district court improperly heightened by adding elements, both with respect to its references to civil agency law and with respect to treating the legal commercial transaction as an element as opposed to an affirmative defense. After that, if time permitting, I'd like to address some of the evidence in the case, as well as um, our view that the district court's new trial orders were legally erroneous in some cases because of procedure and in some cases for failure to apply the governing standards. Turning first to the standard for a Section 951, um, the Supreme Court has been extremely clear that courts are not permitted to add elements to the plain language of a congressional statute. And that's precisely what the district court did here, both by referencing an inopposite area of civil agency law and by disregarding canons of statutory interpretation that would provide that an exclusion from a definitional provision um, is an affirmative defense of a statute and not an element. Well, even if uh, even if you're right and the court imposed on you an additional burden, uh, an additional element to prove uh, and defined agency narrowly, uh, the jury still went your way. So yes, doesn't that uh, doesn't that obviate uh, some of that? It does, Your Honor. Uh, actually, the district court did not instruct the jury specifically on civil law agency. This was something that came up after the jury had been instructed at the Rule 29 hearing. But for purposes of this court having... But it did, it did add that element and, uh, uh, and sort of just in passing and uh, told them it couldn't be a commercial transaction. And Yes, it did instruct the jury that a, commercial transa- a legal commercial transaction was an element that the government had to disprove to get a conviction. Um, under Masaccio, of course, when conducting a sufficiency review, the court disregards any erroneously heightened elements. However, for purposes of the law in this area going forward, given that 951 is, is not an often charged statute, the government thought it was important um, to present this court with its view of what the correct standard for a sufficiency review would be. In particular, our view is that because there's no indicia that the common law was the area from which Congress drew a concept of an agent of a foreign government or the definition that it added to the statute in 1984, that it's improper to import in opposite civil law concept of agency into the statute. And I think our two best cases for this are food marketing and Brusewitz where the Supreme Court said that just because words in a statute bear some resemblance to a common law concept, that's yes, Judge Keene. Um, Ms. Grano, let's just say we agree with you that this is not an element of the crime. Where does that lead us in terms of analyzing the sufficiency of the evidence? Sure. Um, I think it depends on how far you agree with us, Your Honor. If you agree with us that no civil law agency goes into it, and agree with us that the agree to operate in the United States language refers only to a unilateral intent. I think that um, seriously vitiates the district court sufficiency. Okay, it looks like I short-circuited you a bit then. Please, <laughs> no, no. Please go ahead. So there's two- You components. know, I, I don't fully understand uh, why you're so afraid of the common law of agency. I mean, the common law of agency includes 
any person who does something for another person for a specified purpose to obtain the purpose for the original person. It does also contain master-servant concepts, which are much higher control. But uh, 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 it seems to me, uh, uh, if you have to run into the common law of agency, other than the ordinary sense of what it means to be an agent, uh, it 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 doesn't go one way uh, or either uh, other. Uh, uh, very, it doesn't it doesn't seem to implicate anything here because uh, clearly uh, the allegation that you make uh, is that the um, uh, Flynn firm was hired to accomplish a purpose uh, by the uh, Turkish government and was hired and paid a fee for that purpose and so, for somehow um, everybody got involved in notions of. Uh, well, I don't know quite uh, what, quite what, but uh, uh, it seems to me the uh, the question is whether the jury was properly instructed on that and whether they have sufficient evidence to find that. I think that's correct, Your Honor. And and there's the jury instruction is only a legal commercial transaction, which we do think is an important thing to clarify. So maybe I'll move to that next. Um, based on this court's precedent in Royal. The statutes are almost identical, except for the comma and the period distinction. And so we do think that when conducting the sufficiency review, this court should focus on uh, just the definition of an agent of a foreign government, leaving out the four exclusions underneath the statute. Assuming the court agrees with us on all of those points, we think the evidence is more than sufficient. The defendant's arguments really focus on taking circumstantial evidence and separating it out from the overall fabric of the case. Uh, most of the arguments deal with when a particular rationale or an explanation was given. There's contemporaneous documentation showing that that wasn't how it was characterized at the time. In some cases, there's emails directly contradicting the statements that Mr. Rafikian or Mr. Alptekin communicated to Covington lawyers in the investigation leading up to the filing of the Farah letter. And in all of these cases, we think this is a paradigmatic example of the jury weighing competing credibility and inferences about whether or not um, a defendant's sort of self-exculpatory explanations for his conduct are believable or not. And based on that, this is a paradigmatic example of a case in which those resolving those inferences are left to the jury. If the court has no questions on those, I'll move to some of the new trial orders. Um, let me, ask the, one, let, let me ask you one question regarding the unilateral agent proposition you put forth. Uh, tell me, how, how do you say someone can be, can unilaterally agree to be an agent? Um, well, Your Honor, in civil agency law, of course you can't, um, but we think that's the wrong standard. When, but you say- as Well, I don't understand that answer. How can you say that's not so? If I hire a real estate agent to buy a house for me and agree to pay a fee and the agent does it, that's uh, that's a unilateral transaction. It depends on the real estate agent's performance. Well, Your Honor, it, it has to be These do people with the allegedly, you argue that uh, uh, the Turkish government hired the Flynn firm to accomplish a purpose in exchange for a fee. Correct, right? Your Honor. I, so I, why are we involved in contract, bilateral contracts, unilateral contracts? That's a contract. Uh, yes, Your Honor. We think that the evidence is sufficient to show that Turkey was acting through Alptekin and that even on a standard of bilateral assent, we have sufficient evidence in this case. I don't but understand what this bilateral assent. Why are you hesitating on that? The, Honor, if, they agreed to, if they agreed to pay a fee, that's their side of the agreement. 
And on the Flynn side is agreeing to do the work. Correct, Your Honor. Right? So what what are you getting into some probably uh, inappropriate discussions of bilateral and unilateral? Unilateral contract's fine, too. If you climb the flagpole, I'll give you 50 bucks. You don't have to climb the flagpole, but if you climb it, I owe you 50 bucks. I apologize, Your Honor. I think I I understand where some of the confusion might be coming from. Um, We're not talking about concepts of, um, like, promises to pay for performance or bilateral. Well, that's a bilateral contract. Yes, Your Honor. What we're talking about is whether or not there needs to be a meeting of the minds that a particular person is going to act as an agent within the meaning of civil agency law. So this would be, for example, the first section of the restatement that you have to manifest an assent that someone acts on your behalf and then they have to consent to do so. We don't think that's the legal standard. We think the evidence is sufficient to meet that standard if that's the one that the court imposes. But that's different than whether or not contracts are imposing mutual obligations or unilateral obligations. Why isn't that mutual? Because the hiring of the Flynn firm uh, was in exchange for the payment of a fee. So the assent is one side pays the fee and the other side does the work. It would be, Your Honor. Okay. I must say, you you have a nice way of derailing everything. (laughs) I I apologize, Your Honor. It's not my intent. I have a question, Mr. Grano. Yes, of course. Do you agree that your conspiracy evidence is a little bit more thin than your evidence on the substantive 951 charge. And, and, and I'm not really asking you to concede anything, but, but that's my concern. Um, that, that, you know, you have a stronger case on the substantive 951. Uh, and so if, when you're discussing the evidence, if you could particularly talk about the object of the conspiracy that you think the evidence supported and, and go into that in a little bit more detail. Yes, Your Honor, of course. Um, I do think that the conspiracies stand in a different position. This was charged as a double object conspiracy. Um, And of course, either one would be sufficient to sustain the count. I think the evidence is strongest with respect to the conspiracy to act as an agent of a foreign government, um, as opposed to the willful misstatement on the Pharaoh, which is the other object. With respect to the um, agreement to act, I, I think in this case, a lot of the evidence showing what we might refer to as the bilateral agreement between Turkey and Rafikian to act as their agent is also the very same evidence that shows an agreement between at least Rafikian and Alptekin and potentially Turkey itself and an official on Turkey's behalf to act as an agent in the United States. In this context, I would say a lot of the best evidence is that um, Alptekin created opportunities for Rafikian to meet with uh, the foreign minister and other cabinet level ministers at which a statement was made that the Turkish government's goal is to obtain uh, Gulen's extradition. And in this case, then Rafikian went back to FIG and with respect to every communication afterwards declared that to be their ultimate aim and the purpose of the ultimate opportunity. Um, And then there's all of the discussions between Alptekin and Rafikian with respect to confidentiality. We see the same um, misstatements and false cover stories repeated between the two of them. Yes, sir. What what I'm I'm concerned with in this case um, is is all of the hearsay that was admitted. I think, you know, Judge Trenga is a good judge, and I think 
that he really came out of this trial very concerned about the fact that what over 100 pages of, of hearsay evidence not admitted for the truth and i know the jury was instructed various times not just once on uh, how to treat this evidence um how could you tell us how much or t was there evidence outside these hearsay statements and emphasize for us what it was that established that first object of the conspiracy, the conspiracy to act as an agent of the Turkish government? Yes, Your Honor. So I would say uh, there's some conduct elements that show um, Alptekin acting in this capacity. These would be the weekly um, catch-up calls in which the uh, the fig engagement was discussed you know not anything said on the calls offered for the truth of the matter but the fact that there's an ongoing relationship in which they discuss the engagement the arrangement of the meeting with the turkish ministers the, um, the new york meeting sorry you're talking about the new york meeting yes your honor the september 19th meeting that optican arranged and then a, a statement from Rafikian, which is, of course, permissible for the truth of the matter, that he had a following a subsequent conversation with Alptekin talking about expectations, uh, trying to manage those, saying we'll deliver what we promise. Um, so I, th I think in conjunction with not just Alptekin statements, which are admissible for what Rafikian knew to be happening or what he understood to be happening, there's other indicia that don't come from Alptekin's own statements that show him um, participating in Rafikian's actions on behalf of the Turkish government in the United States for this purpose. Well, there's also the parallel object of trying to get Gulen back to, uh, to, uh, uh, back to Turkey, uh, and he being the leader of the opposition, uh, and also the uh, disparity in the flow of money coming from Turkey and then uh, returning uh, in small part to uh, Netherlands. Uh, Correct, Your Honor. Which, we, is it, which is indicative of Alpatin acting in a different role than just for himself. Correct, Your Honor. We think the financial payments with the 20%, what we've termed the kickback back to Alptekin, is extremely probative because as I stand here today, I have not heard an explanation for why a client would pay his employee or his contract firm a certain amount of money and then get 20% back as a consulting fee. And we think that's very strong evidence that Alptekin was acting as an intermediary for another person or another entity. And the other circumstantial evidence in the case, such as the meetings and the purpose of the engagement, indicate that that other person was Turkey. I'm a little bit over my time. If the court has further questions, I'm happy to keep going, but otherwise I'll All right, thank you. Okay. All right, we'll hear from Mr. Is it Tice or Tice? It's Tice. Tice, okay, we'll hear from you. Uh, good afternoon, and may it please the court. James Tice on behalf of the defendant. There was some uh, talk about the standard uh, of agency under this statute, so I'll go right there. The district court correctly held that no reasonable jury could conclude beyond a reasonable doubt without speculating that Rafikian acted as a secret Turkish agent and that, that he agreed to operate pursuant to Turkey's direction or subject to its control. Now, the government says that it can use essentially a watered-down definition of agent that dispenses with any requirement of showing any proof that a foreign official was ever involved in the relationship. But that interpretation conflicts with Section 951's text, the regulations, as I'll show, the context and the history, and it would have the effect of criminalizing merely acting in a way that benefits a foreign country, absent proof of any meaningful foreign direction, 
control? I guess if I understand your argument, um, uh, your, your argument is it's clear that the Flynn Group had an arrangement with Aptekin, uh, but that Aptekin was acting on behalf of the government was not clear, and you argue it wasn't even proved. And so really what you're saying is it's not ra ra an agency issue, it's whether who was the agent on the other side? Was uh, Aptekin and Nova acting on their own behalf as a private enterprise, or was were they acting on behalf of the Turkish government? And there's not sufficient evidence to show they were acting on behalf of the Turkish government or a government official. That's right. That's Your what Honor. I think. That's what I understand your argument, isn't it? That that's right, Your Honor. That goes to yeah. the, the substantive point. But but sticking with the standard for one moment, and I'm very happy to address uh, the substantive evidence of what the government did or did not prove. But speaking uh, for the standard for a second, the way we understand the government's non-mutuality argument or unilateral argument is that all it needs to prove is that someone was acting essentially consistently uh, for the benefit of another, of a foreign country or a foreign official. You don't actually need to show that a foreign official knew about what was happening. You don't need to show that they consented to it or agreed to it. Well, just I staying agree. with that, uh, uh, um, uh, I want to grant you your argument on uh, whether the Turkish government was involved. But if you just assume Aktigan was uh, uh, hired the Flynn firm to act as agent for him and his firm, uh, the question uh, there seems to be answered simply by saying, will you do this work for us for a fee? And the other side says yes, and then a fee is paid. It seems to me uh, the one is the agent of the other. Now, that doesn't prove that Aptekin was the agent of the government, but it does prove that the Flynn firm uh, was acting as agent at least for Aptekin. Uh, and it could be Aptekin in his own self-interest and his corporate interest, or Aptekin as a go-between with the government. Now, the government's theory is uh, he was acting as a go-between with the Turkish government, and that's that's the rub in the case. But. I agree, Your Honor, and that's where we think that there simply was no evidence. I mean, I think the district court summarized, went through the evidence very carefully and summarized this. I think it's helpful to put it into kind of three categories. First of all, what was the evidence of Turkish involvement? Well, the government did not- well, let, me ask you, let, let me ask you on that. Um, initially, I mean, it's a, this is an interesting case because of the way in which it proceeds almost with stealth, um, given what was being done. Uh, initially, the project is called Truth, and when it's Truth, uh, your client says, you know, Turkey would have been uh, the client uh, for the project Truth. Uh, but then, you then it morphs over into something called confidence, uh, kind of seamlessly morph into it. And there's all kind of emails. Looks a little cryptic to me, uh, but the. At the end of the day, when you look at this, you've got Aptekin, who uh, is out there. He's, he has some reason for doing it, and but he he doesn't come to testify to this, does he? He does not, Your Honor. He was charged in the indictment along with my clients, therefore essentially guaranteeing that he would not be available to testify in this case. And that's why the government sought to introduce his evidence under the hearsay, and one of the hearsay exceptions the district court found by preponderance of the evidence that no such conspiracy uh, was proven. Uh, to your point about- But, but, but surely if, if, if you could have, if, if government had done something like giving immunity or there's some other way, uh, maybe get a pardon or whatever, then he, he wouldn't have that. And he testified that from your perspective, that would be 
that would be it wouldn't be hearsay anymore. Let's put it that way. The evidence of, of whether he did. We agree with that, Your Honor. You know, and and you mentioned Pardon. Obviously, that's exactly what happened to the owner of the Flint Health Group, who was the leader of this engagement. The government had taken the position that he was not a co-conspirator at all until about a month before trial, when it flipped positions. Um, when it found out, well, that it flipped his position after he recanted some statements. He went and got him some lawyers and recanted statements. And when you went to trial, I, I don't quite understand how that all comes up. The government does stuff and of course now we see this in all kind of cases i mean this is it's interesting the way we are analyzing or you, you're analyzing look at this case and the way we look at it but i mean the, the the way in which these cases go i mean you've got money laundering cases rico cases all kind of cases in which you the white collar cases are like this and then even the lower level and so when you get in the business of you know should the court have allowed uh you know him the, this evidence against uh that one to to then been brought in you know when you when you when you got evidence he's recanted you can't bring him then as a witness because he's taking his statements back after he's gotten counsel and stuff or whatever i i, I explain that soliloquy i don't i don't quite understand what happened there well the sequence of events your honor was that he um uh, uh according to the government's representations in other courts he refused to testify the way that, that the government had expected him to, at which point they decided not to bring him. Since then, of course, the United States government has moved to dismiss his indictment on unrelated charges, saying it never should have been brought post his guilty plea, and, and, and now he's been pardoned. But we're getting off track a little so bit. So I guess, it, let, let me ask you, if this case did go back for a new trial, you could call that witness now? Uh, potentially, Your Honor. We, we could not have called him before, presumably, because he would have uh, taken the fifth, but potentially now that he's been pardoned. But I don't think it's necessary to return this case for a new trial because the government's evidence was, as the district court said, extremely speculative and entirely circumstantial. And if I can speak briefly about but what now I the circumstantial aspect of evidence like this, when I think about a case like this, and if you wanted to draw up a blueprint for how to do something like this, it would be in this kind of a manner where you would never, ever make that connection directly but you would use code words or you would say it in a cryptic way and 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 ultimately you couldn't make the connection but you could do everything that would be just a substantive crime but you couldn't make that connection because it's going to be hearsay if you can't get someone other than the uh the, the person who's alleged to be uh representing the country to to testify well, I'd love to make two points in response to that, Your Honor, if, if you'll allow me. The first is that uh, the, uh, there's different kinds of circumstantial evidence. There's circumstantial evidence such as if the government had presented evidence that Turkey had actually funded this agreement. That would be circumstantial evidence that Mr. Afikian had agreed to operate as a foreign agent. But they didn't do that. They didn't put on any evidence of where that funding came other than from the, the person that everyone testified was the client. Okay, so well, they probably won't ever get that. You're not going to get a foreign country to come up here and say we actually gave it. It's going to be someone put forth in this manner who will come forth and actually take actions. And all you're going to get is that we have officials, a high level officials type stuff. Well, I mean, I, I just don't I just don't foresee a country of this sort that's going to give you direct evidence. That's not diplomatically good. Well, there's, there's, there, there is uh, manners of getting evidence. In fact, the government did get evidence from the government of the Netherlands in this case. Uh, it just didn't do so from Turkey, and that's at JA. But didn't, didn't, didn't we get just that with that meeting up in New York? I mean, what? I mean, they all met up there in New York. They got together in a room and 
They get up there just to just to have drinks and have a good time. They were actually meeting with Turkish officials, weren't they? They they were, Your Honor. But if you actually look at the pages that discuss that meeting, I mean, just to take a step back, it's clear that Mr. Rafikian and the Flynn Intel Group are seeking to be retained by Turkey in the beginning of August. Okay, it doesn't doesn't work out. They end up being retained by a private company instead, and that's what the evidence consistently shows. After that, now the government suggests that. This, this meeting, which was disclosed in the FARA filing as background for the project they were working on, shows that... Well, you disclose it in the FARA filing, which you characterize as being late, um, which, you know, there's a history there, too, because instead of doing it from the beginning, you went under a lobbying disclosure act or something, which didn't require you to do certain things, and then all of a sudden, when you get the law firm involved, you do it late, you now disclose it, but... The truth of the matter is, except I guess for the safe harbor language within the Fair, uh, the, the, the Agents Act, uh, it, it, I thought it required you to, to file it within 10 days of taking these acts. Well, the Lobbying Disclosure Act, Your Honor, satisfies any sort of FARA and Section 951 obligation as long as the uh, a foreign nation is not a principal beneficiary. So. Uh, you know, it was only late once Covington made. But I mean, that's part of the conscious choice. You 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 knew that this uh, Farah uh, needed uh, would potentially had you all notice you had a lot of wanting that needs to be done, but you didn't want it to be seen. You didn't want it to be known. So the way to kind of hide it, I guess, was to put it as a lobbyist. But there was it never in a lobbying act done, was it? Well, Your I mean, Honor, really, in, in terms of the, the substantive part of a lobby disclosure act, there was, nothing, there was no lobbying ever done, was it? There was a small amount of lobbying done. The government never charged us with an LDA violation or, or anything of that sort. Oh, I got that. Let me know. Certainly. Go ahead, Judge. Both, I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Mr. Tice, both uh, confidence and truth, the projects listed as their primary objection, weren't, uh, object was to paint Gulen in a negative light and to achieve his extradition back to Turkey. And it it looked like throughout this, your client was not being straightforward regarding whether truth and confidence were actually the same project. In his statements to the Covington lawyers and other statements, there was a suggestion that they were entirely separate, okay? But they had the same phase zero action plan that showed that in fact they were, or at least arguably a trier fact could find that they were the same. So it looks like there were, were conflicting circumstances in your client's posture that he was taking from which the jury could conclude he wasn't being truthful. Um, isn't that part of the fact finder's role as well to assess whether these explanations uh, wash with the rest of the circumstantial evidence in the case? I mean, I agree with you. Well, it's too case, but... Uh, well, I just want to be perfectly clear, Your Honor. There was no such thing as Project Truth. It never came to fruition. Essentially, Altikin was seeking to... Uh, uh, Flynn Intel Group was looking for a new client. Altikin was looking for someone to work with. He was negotiating with the Flint Intel Group about getting okay, the project off the Project Truth started never, the same day that truth was abandoned. Is that correct? Uh, they decided to move forward under the project with a different client. There was no evidence put in that Turkey was that client. There was no evidence that suggested that Turkey was paying for the engagement, that it was passing along any instructions, that it was making any requests. Right, right. Fact, the district court. 
I'm sorry, but Mr. Tyson, then I won't interrupt you again. But but my point is that it looks like Mr. Rafikian was giving different versions. He was arguing that confidence was entirely separate from truth, but it showed that the objectives that were being advanced were the same. There was other evidence. So was the trial, going back to my question from before, wasn't the trier of fact entitled to say, wait a minute, something is wrong here. He was lying about this because uh, we've seen this phase zero action item from truth and we've, uh, we've heard about confidence too. And, and, and these things are essentially the same. Um, well, thank you, your honor. I mean, I think in terms of whether or not the jury could have made such an inference, I think the answer is no, because juries are allowed to make uh, logical inferences based on circumstantial evidence. I agree that circumstantial evidence and um, even false statements are evidence. But they do it all the time. They do it all the time. You've got an instance here where Aptekin is the same intermediary for both intermediary for both of these. But the and, and you do it the same day, you got the same purpose. And, you know, if you're going to do a case like this, I'm thinking these are not easy cases to prove. I'm thinking you got to rely upon reasonable inferences. Inferences very seldom you're going to get the uh, agent to come up and testify. The the country has told me to do something, and therefore I'm working with them. If you're going to do it, it's going to happen in this way. So when the when you give this to the jury and he says, "Well, you got this truth project that you say didn't exist," but that's a pretty strong thing because that's that looks pretty bad. So well, you separate yourself from that and says we got the confidence, which is a separate thing, but it's the same guy, and you're doing the same stuff. So, I, so it, the only difference is now you maybe divorce yourself from this opportunity or this now what what do we call an obligation to go and report this thing to the Department of Justice, which you which apparently you didn't want to do until after you got counsel somewhere down the road and finally did a late filing of that. So. I mean, there's a reason for all of this. If, if you want to do this kind of work and you want to do it in a clandestine, uh, under the table sort of way, you want to try to avoid such things as coming, you know, put into the Department of Justice because those guys over there do a serious investigation on you when you start doing that. So, so you probably don't want them to know about it. So I don't say, see how you say the jury couldn't connect it to. I mean, certainly there's evidence to say they weren't. But but in, in the cases like this one, we're looking at it, we rely upon reasonable inferences. And and the district court went through all this evidence and sat through this trial and said that these were not reasonable inferences, that they were too speculative. I, let me, if you don't mind, I'd like to make a quick point about Farah, Judge Wynn, because I think you brought up an interesting point, which you said, these are tough cases to bring, and tough cases to prove. And I think that's right. There's only been three cases in the entire history of the Fourth Circuit that have even cited this section. All of them involved uh, espionage-related allegations, conspiracy to pass along classified information to known foreign officials. In each of, of course, those you cases, don't think that you don't more. you don't just because you've only had three cases. You don't think in the history of this country there's only been three incidents of it, do you? <laughs> it may be a hard thing to prove, but of course but not. That, that, I don't think that, that that tells us anything if you only got three convictions in it. But I think that that the issue here in this case is whether you know we've got the evidence was sufficient. Yes. for it to happen in a case like this. And, and my point is, Your Honor, the government says, well, you have, can have this agency definition that doesn't need, you don't need to show the involvement of every, any foreign official. You can just say, well, uh, uh, th there was a lot of suspicious behavior. He was acting seemingly on behalf of a foreign government, but there's no actual evidence of an agreement or instructions or requests made by the foreign government. 
And what I'm saying is in the other Section 951 cases, the only three that this court has cited, all three of them did involve espionage-related activities that did involve requests, instructions, direct communication with foreign officials. Can I ask you, uh, when did the uh, Turkey make a formal request for uh, the return of Gulen in relationship to the formation of truth in this case? I believe, Your Honor, it was shortly after the extradition, uh, I mean, excuse me, shortly after the coup attempt. Um, so I so, so uh, Turkey was already on public record requesting uh, return of Gulen. Very much so, Your Honor. And in fact, Turkey. So fired. now we so now we have this engagement in truth, which is to turn the American government uh, against Gulen uh, to facilitate his return. Yes, and one of the well six uh, days say later, six, is, day, six days later, right? Uh, what well, what Turkey actually contemporaneously hired another agent, an actual agent, Robert Amsterdam, uh, an associate, his law firm, to do exactly what Mr. Altekin was trying to convince the Turkish government to do with my client. Yeah, but there, there are different methods, there are different methods for doing things, different avenues. And if you had three or four, you'd follow all three or four if you were the Turkish government. This was a big deal to get legitimacy. And here you have Truth hired specifically to assist the object to assist the object that Turkey had announced publicly. Well, and and then they, that engagement uh, lasts for a few days and is only between Reptigan, uh, 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 the Flynn and and uh, and Aptigan. That's the only three to the truth thing. They have exchanges of what they're going to do, what they propose to do. They have the acceptance of the of the engagement. And then at the next steps, the email said, we now get our firm operated. On that very day, they changed the name to Confidence and started using very generic terms about what they're engaged in. But the purpose remained the same, as well, far as I can tell. Your Honor, I would just briefly say, just acting on behalf of a foreign country, not under the direction of control, does not satisfy the statutory standard. No, no, we'll it's, it's the- part of the circumstantial evidence. The question, one of the big questions is, whether truth and and uh, uh, confidence were one and the same, and if they were, was truth sufficiently connected to the uh, Turkey uh, uh, through the uh, these coincidental facts? They were trying to get Gulen back. They were trying to disengage Gulen. They were trying to get the government and the, and the president saying, "Oh, Gulen really is a bad guy. He's a terrorist, uh, and uh, you ought to turn him back." Um, it seems to me the parallel. Po- uh, projects are part of the coincidental, uh, uh, um, uh, part of the uh, circumstantial evidence. And oh. we had, we, we talked about this other evidence of the meeting in New York and the, and the payment of funds from a Turkish bank with a kickback going to a Netherlands bank. Uh, it, it's, it's all a little funny. Well, Your Honor, that, that was the government strategy of trial to suggest there was a lot of funny things going on. But ultimately, they didn't show that he was acting on Turkey's direction or, or Turkey's control, because that would require showing that some foreign official was actually involved in passing along instructions. And on this point, I think it's really significant, Your Honor. That well, you, the question you have to ask on that line, the question you have to ask is whether Aptigan was acting on Turkey's behalf as its go-between, because yes. Aptigan did reject some steps being taken and did approve some other steps being taken, and he did so in the name of Turkey. And so uh, he could be self-promoting. There's no question, but uh, you have to put all this together. 
as the government admitted below, though, it would depend on the nature of the agreement. Even if Turkey had hired Alptekin and the jury could have inferred that that to be the case, it would still depend at JA 2071 and also at JA 111 and 112, the government conceded below that you still need evidence that the defendant knew that Turkey was actually operating behind Alptekin and that he agreed to operate in that context. And on this point, I think it's really important to point to the fact that Farah actually does uh, mimic the sort of uh, theory that the government has here about Section 951. Section 951 says uh, agent of a foreign government. You have to act at the direction and control of a foreign government. But Farah is much broader. It says you can be a representative, not just an agent. You can uh, operate at a request, not just under the direction or control. And you can do it indirectly, not just and, you know for the benefit primary benefit of someone. So the government, for whatever reason, did not charge a substantive FARA offense. That would have been presumably the simpler crime to charge here if it really thought that Turkey was behind all of this. Instead, it chose to accuse my client of being a secret Turkish agent operating uh, in this clandestine manner. And, uh, and if it turns out that it hasn't satisfied its burden of proof by actually showing any direction and control from the Turkish side, well, then that means the judgments of acquittal should be affirmed. Now, I would, I know I'm a little bit over my can, time. Can, can you, can you, uh, if you will answer one question, I just, uh, just would like to get your response to, and that is, how do you view this, uh, this 20% fee, uh, this commission that was paid, looks like a commission. Uh, how, how do you view that? I'm happy to address that, Your Honor. The record evidence was Please. that every everybody in the uh, everyone who testified said that they understood the project was being funded by Turkish businessmen. That came up uh, throughout the record, so there was never any doubt that Alptekin was not paying out of his own pocket. He was trying to hook up uh, uh, the, the Flynn Intel Group with paying clients. When it fell through with Turkey, he got some of his Turkish businessmen to pay for it, and that explains the payment, Your Honor. He was, you know, at, at the end of the day, he was trying to. Uh, get this project off the ground. He is a. So you, know, you are you are you saying that twenty percent was a commission? Uh, I think it was described in the in the FARA filing that went to the government as consulting payments. I don't think it was a commission. Uh, that's how they structured it in their formal agreements. But right. your honor, I think I'd be remiss. Um, you know, the government, and I think some of the questions today have gone to what are the sort of reasonable or permissible inferences that could be drawn here. Even if you might disagree with them, could the jury? Well, that goes directly to the, the new trial ground on the sufficiency of the evidence. In that case, as both the Campbell case and the Souter case found, that is permissible for the district judge to, based on his own view of the record, seeing how this affected the jury over a six-day trial under an abuse of discretion standard, he is allowed to make those inferences. And again, that's exactly what the Campbell case says, that if the okay. error the district court made was, a, was um, improper inferences, well, he's allowed to do that in the, in the, in the rare case. And I should note that he noticed uh, page 2149 of the JA that um, this was rare circumstances. So, I, so he well understood that it's a rare remedy to grant a new trial on that on that weight of sufficiency. But at the end of the day, I would say clearly this judge who's experienced, who saw this trial, thought something went wrong here based on uh, the presentation of the evidence, the position with respect to Flynn, all of the hearsay evidence that came in, Your Honor. And I think, again, it's really worth emphasizing that most of the evidence in the case, essentially all communications with Altican, were not admitted for their truth. There's nearly 100 pages. And I think it's well within a district court's discretion to say, uh, uh, you know, a new trial is necessary in that circumstance when uh, he, he, in his experience, judgment um, and discretion uh, determines that it uh, uh, affected the rights of 
my client. Happy to answer. All right, questions. thank you. Thank you. I see you. our time is over. And uh, uh, we'll hear now from Mr. Grano. Thank you, Your Honor. I'd like to start by addressing some of the evidentiary points, um, because I think the court has really honed in on the key elements of the circumstantial inquiry here. I'd emphasize, particularly, there's an email from Mr. Rafikian in which he says, after the project is named Confidence, we have been at work on this engagement since July 31st. So that is a direct statement by the defendant that he viewed these as being the same project starting, as Judge Wynn pointed out, six days after OIA denied the extradition request is when Altican reached out to Rafikian and started this entire process. And it's not just that they had the same objectives, as Judge Keaton pointed out, they had the same playbook, they had the same budget, the same 20% was in both the truth budget and the confidence budget. The New York City meeting occurred after the transition to confidence. And so you have a Turkish official meeting at Alptekin's uh, instigation with FIG announcing their goal, we want Gulen extradited to Turkey. And then you have Rafikin leaving that meeting and communicating to the rest of his team that that is what their ultimate aim is. We also have the false statements from Mr. Rafikian to the Covington lawyers after he was given an upjohn warning and the jury heard testimony about what an upjohn warning is and can conclude that he knew that this was dicey territory and started making, started distancing himself from what he thought uh, Covington might figure out about all of this and then didn't turn over all of the Skype communications with Optican on this subject. We also have some independent indications that Optican was working on Turkey's behalf. In addition to the meeting, I'd point out that following the sort of disastrous meeting in Alexandria, Sphere Consulting, who was a FIG subcontractor on this, reached out to Optican with a public uh, relations proposal for the Turkish government. And Alptekin, even though a bidding process had closed already, got them a late entry with the Turkish embassy where they met with Turkey's number two diplomatic officer in the United States. I think these are all indications that the jury can use to draw on the fact that there was in fact a Turkey-Alptekin link uh, that continued through, through the FIG engagement. I'd also point out again that when asked about these 20% statements, the story that both Rafikian and Alptekin told was that these were refunds, even though no contemporaneous documentation established this fact, even though they were consistently characterized throughout the entire process as consulting fees. So this is again, as Judge Keenan pointed out, a falsehood that the jury can then infer guilty knowledge and guilty intent from. I'll turn next to the hearsay evidence um, and so a point that Mr. Tice just concluded with, which is he said earlier that one of the key things we didn't prove was that Rafikian knew Turkey was behind Alptekin. But that's one of the key things that the Alptekin statements are permissible for, not for hearsay, but that he was told about Turkey's extensive involvement in it. Now, while we can't rely on those statements under the district court's limiting instructions to prove that Turkey was in fact behind Alptekin, we can certainly rely on them for their impact on Rafikian's state of mind, particularly coupled with all of the indications that Turkey was actually involved, including the September 19th meeting. Lastly, I'll just touch on the new trial on the weight of the evidence order. We don't disagree that a trial judge is given deference in a new trial weight of the evidence context. The problem here is that in our view, the district court had already committed multiple legal errors on the standards for the substantive offenses, and then also didn't cite the governing standards for purposes of a weight 
of the evidence new trial order. As this court most recently pointed out in Chavez, mere disagreement with the jury's verdict or mere belief that the credibility determination should have been resolved a different way is not sufficient. Rather, the standard from Arrington since 1985 has been that the evidence must weigh so heavily against the verdict that it would be unjust to enter a judgment of conviction. And we saw no engagement from the district court on that standard and no explanation of how, while he might disagree with some of the jury's inferences, it crossed that extra additional threshold. And so we think that was an abuse of discretion. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, your arguments were informative and helpful, both of them. And uh, uh, this is a, a very involved case and we thank you for your arguments. Our practice at this point would be to come down and shake your hands, and I particularly miss doing that today uh, in view of the long work and the long involvement in this case, uh, uh, which is going to be, was hard for you guys, and it's going to be hard for us too. But uh, we extend our greetings and uh, uh, as if we were shaking your hands, and uh, uh, thank you for your arguments. Uh, we'll proceed on to the uh, last case.